Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Sermon series that is focused on Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And what we want to do, of course, is see how that letter to that church in that time continues to have this meaning and this importance for our, our lives as Christians in this day and this age. And so we remember that the opening to this letter, the very first thing that Paul is addressing is the fact that there are divisions in the church, uh, that the people are dividing into factions and fighting one another. And that's the biggest issue that Paul is dealing with, is that these people are not one body, but they're, they're at odds with each other. And you'll remember that Paul says that he came preaching only Christ crucified, by which he doesn't mean so much forgiveness, but that he's saying, I came preaching to you that in Jesus, he gave up all his demands for power according to the world. He didn't want to have power over others. He didn't want to have power uh, through money. He didn't care about that kind of power. He only cared about the power of God at work in him and in the world. The kind of power the world has was not what Jesus was after. And in fact, he said, go ahead, use your power, kill me. But God's power will always overcome your power. So this is what Paul is trying to say. Paul's saying, I didn't come to you saying, follow me. I came to you and said, follow Jesus Christ. That's what the whole point of being the church is, is that we learn somehow to follow Jesus Christ. We remember that Jesus is the head of the church and no one and nothing else. And then we saw that as Paul continues through this letter, beginning at chapter 5, he's going to lay out all these moral failings of the people in Corinth. Right? They're living in a kind of a wild city. And you know what's interesting to me is if you begin to look at the things that Paul is uh, putting before them. Yes, today we would say, you know, the proper use of sexuality is an important thing. So uh, they're, they're failing to um, understand how to use the gift of sexuality. We would still see as a moral issue. But some of the things he's pointing toward... When was the last time you went into the grocery or went to the butcher shop and you said, hey, before I buy this, was this meat sacrificed to idols? <laughs> I haven't because I don't think that's any more a moral issue of our day that if we're not careful that Homeland is going to be uh, giving us meat that's already been sacrificed to idols. You see, the point is that in some ways the specific issues of morality change from generation to generation. Some of the things in the Bible we don't consider to be moral issues anymore, and rightly so. I mean, the eating of shellfish is no longer a moral issue. 
Now, it was back then because it kept them healthy. But today, we eat shellfish. We don't consider that to be a moral failing. Or some of the things in the Bible that weren't moral failings, we now think are. For example, polygamy. You know, back then, it was fine to have multiple wives. And today, we're not going to say, well, that morality is okay because standards change over time and as we come to see things more in light of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's probably good that morality doesn't always uh, stay exactly as it was thousands of years ago because, you know, I'm here to say I don't think it was a good thing that women and children were property. Right? It's better that women and children be fully human as God has created us to be. That's why polygamy was okay. They were just they were just property. Who cared? You see, so things change even in the past 50 or 100 years. There are these things called blue laws. You all remember these things? Uh, blue laws originally were like uh, religious laws for Sunday. So stores would be closed on Sunday, and some of us might feel that would be a good thing to go back to. But there were other blue laws that are absolutely ridiculous. Did you know, uh, I think it's true even today, that in Louisiana, it is illegal to surprise someone with a pizza delivered. So I can't just decide I'm going to send Philip a pizza. It's illegal. Okay, Uh, that doesn't seem to me to be a moral failing. It might be a good thing to send him a pizza. And there's a law in Arizona that says you can't put your donkey in your bathtub. Really? I guess someone did. And so then you have to make a law not to put your donkey in the bathtub. You see, human laws are never going to fully and rightly capture what God wants of God's people. And this really is an important point. The Ten Commandments really are a moral code. They're saying, you know, you've got to love God and you've got to love neighbor. You've got to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with neighbor. And those are always true, but they're not the laws of the land, which do all these weird things like say you can't put your donkey in the bathtub. So Paul is trying to show that, yes, there are these moral failures that are there in the church in Corinth. But when he gets to chapters 12 through 14, and this is where our passage today comes in, Paul takes a turn. He shifts what he's talking about as if to say, now, the problem of divisions and the problem of moral failings here is the way out of that situation. This is the way to help us live as we should with Christ at the head. And he begins this passage really by saying, I want to talk to you about spiritual things. I want to talk to you about spiritual matters, pneumatica, things that are spiritual. And Paul is trying to say, Being in church doesn't necessarily make you spiritual. Uh Uh-oh. Paul 
is trying to say living your life in the Spirit is not the same thing as just confessing Christ because these people in Corinth are confessing Christ and then they're living according to the standards of the world, not according to Christ. So Paul says, here's what you need to do. He says, there's one God, there's one Spirit, at work in all of you. But here's the thing. God has given each of you gifts. Think of them as talents or abilities. God has given each of us services, ministries to do. God has given each of us work or tasks. Now, this is really important because Paul is saying, look, all of you have specific gifts that have been given to you by God for the, the work of the life of the church, for the body of Christ. And some of you, you're good at prayer. And some of you are good at fixing things. And some of you have gifts for teaching. And some of you have gifts of hospitality. And some of you are generous. And some of you are loving. You all have these gifts. Now, maybe Jesus had all of them. But if you want all of them present in the church, then all of you have to contribute what it is God has given to you. He's saying you all have something to contribute. And not only that, you all have a ministry. We think only people like me who, who give our life uh, to the church and ordained you, you are the only ones who are called to ministry. No, the first calling of a Christian is to ministry on behalf of Christ. And it's a, a matter of saying, what is your ministry? What do you do? What, how do you use your gifts? Do you sing because you have that gift? What do you do with what you have been given? What is your ministry on behalf of Christ? And then he comes to this point of the work and the tasks. Listen, people of God, if you don't realize it, oh, there are a bazillion little things that have to be done in the church all the time. And lots of them aren't glamorous things. And lots of them aren't important things. And yet they all need to be done. And thank goodness we have so many people in this church who are willing just to do something that needs to be done, no matter how insignificant it might seem, because it's all good work for the purposes of the kingdom of God and for the body of Christ. That's how things work. What are you doing? What are you sharing with others? But then Paul really pulls this in and shows how using your gifts and your service and your work pushes back against all those things that are going wrong in the church at Corinth. Because he says, and all of these are to be used for the common good. Now, the common good uh, is a word in Greek. It's used pretty frequently in the New Testament, and it can be used in a variety of ways, but I think here the best way of talking about the meaning is to say that the word means that we're better together. That the word here is saying, that Paul is saying, when we are all sharing together in what we have to give, we are better together. We are all doing the work of Christ. We are all built up. We are mutually edified. We are all those things we should be. We come closer to being the body of Christ in the world because we are all seeking 
seeking the best interest of God and of others. You see, if your doing in the church is about getting somehow personal power or personal renown or whatever as a result of being in the church, look at me, then you've missed the point altogether. That's what he's saying. I remember years ago, I was in a small church and it was offering time. And when the offering had been collected, this woman stands up and shouts, Count the offering! Whatever is in the plate, I will double! You know what? That wasn't about Christ. That was about her. Because as we all realize, she could have gone after the service very quietly and said, what's in the plate? I'd like to double it. But instead, she wanted to be seen. She wanted to be somebody. And that's exactly what Paul says gets us in trouble. I want to be in charge of the church. I want to be the one that you all see and recognize. I want to follow me, follow my way. That's not what Paul is talking about. In fact... And this word for common good, sumphero, uh, S-Y-M-P-H-E-R-O in English, sumphero, is related to another word in Greek. Stay with me. I see she's like, Ooh. another word in Greek, symphonia, from which comes our word symphony, symphony. Now, a symphony is in harmony. Now, there weren't symphonies back in Paul's day, but what do we know about a symphony? You get all these wonderful musicians together, and they are all literally to be on the same page, and out comes this great harmony, this beautiful music, this wonderful, inspiring thing. But guess what? Suppose that three or four of the musicians wanted to be known for their great musical ability. So they, you know, they started playing really loud so everyone could hear how good they are. What would happen to the music? It would be bad. It would become disharmonious instead of harmonious. And in fact, the conductor would say, French horn, back down. You're messing it up for the rest of us. That is exactly the idea that Paul is driving at here. All members of the body of Christ are needed for their gifts. All of us, when we give our gifts and, and our service to the church, it becomes a harmonious place. When we're the one who wants to play our tune too loud, disharmony, division, conflict. You can't get to good moral behaviors in the church by pointing figures and legislating. You get there by one and only one thing. And that's the love of God within us. Now, you see, now we get to chapter 13, that famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians. And what Paul is saying, when you read it in the context of this letter, is that there's only one motivation for what we do in the church, and that one motivation is love. That one motivation is to love God and to love our neighbors. That one motivation must always be love, as Jesus Christ commanded us to love. That's 
it. That's where the harmony and the symphony and the common good and all these things we seek as the body of Christ come from. It's the love of God in Jesus Christ given to us in the Holy Spirit. The first gift from the Holy Spirit is God's love poured out for us. It's love. And so no matter whether you're doing the smallest task in the church, do small tasks with great love. Because I think there's kind of this chicken and egg thing there. You're like, well, you know, do I do, I do because I love or do I love because I do? Yes. Once you start serving others, once you start doing on behalf of God, it comes back and your love grows. And you do more and your love grows. And you do more and your love grows. And people of God, I'm here to tell you that I think the thing this world most needs is more love. We don't need more disharmony. We don't need more division. We don't need more pointing fingers and hatred. We don't need more immorality. We don't need more of anything except for the love of God in Jesus Christ. And it's up to us to be those who love here in this community and outside these walls. Because if we don't do it, who will? And if we don't love, you know you've heard me say this, we're not likely to get the rest of the gospel right either. That is Paul's message to us, just as it was to those in Corinth. The body of Christ needs each of us. And so, what's your ministry? How are you loving in this community and beyond the walls? Because that is why the Spirit is given to us so that we all might be better together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.